Well, good morning. This is a fun day. We are so excited about this afternoon. Two o'clock, Camp Berea, baptism. Uh, we have uh, 12, 12 people who have stepped forward uh, to be baptized, have met with one of the pastors, and they are ready to publicly proclaim their love for Jesus, uh, which is awesome. <clears throat> and, you know, I know that it was already said, but I have to say it again. If you've never been baptized and you do love Jesus and you've made the commitment to follow him as your Lord and Savior, it's not too late. We love, love dunking you in the water. <laughs> so it's going to be a great afternoon. Um, the weather's going to be perfect. And uh, even if you don't know somebody specifically, like they never called and invited me to come to their baptism, I'm inviting you, please come uh, this afternoon and celebrate with these 12 who have made that decision. And again, if you decide that you want to get baptized, we're happy to meet with you and uh, make that happen today. So uh, that's this afternoon, two o'clock. And I think we're going to be there early. I think Pastor Jeff is bringing nine square. Uh, so if you don't know what that is, again, it's worth showing up just for that, um, to play some nine square and, and hang out, have some lunch and just fellowship together. So that's this afternoon. Well, well, let's go ahead and let's, let's start in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this day. We're so grateful for the work that you've done by the power of your Spirit to, to reach out to these 12 uh, that are going to publicly proclaim their love and their commitment to you today through baptism. We thank you, God, that you have saved them for all eternity, that they have a relationship with you, that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have the joy of doing life together. And uh, God, I just pray that you would just bless them. I pray for your protection over them. And God, I pray for this time right now as we open your word. What a gift it is that you have given us your word. As it's written in the New Testament, we believe that the words on these pages are God-breathed. And we believe, God, that you, by the power of your spirit, use your word to touch our hearts and to change our lives. And that's what we're asking for this morning. God, whether, whether someone is here and they've never come to know you, or whether someone's here this morning and they have been walking with you for most of their life, we ask, God, that by the power of your spirit, you would touch our hearts and change our lives through your word today. We ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this past week, I have uh, had the privilege and enjoyment of following along as a friend of mine uh, has been traveling with his wife. They've been on vacation in Hawaii so it's hard not to have a good time, I guess. But they have been posting along their journey just several of what he has referred to as God moments. He referred to these, these moments in their travels where he had either seen God move in some way or, or orchestrate some sort of a meeting or given them opportunities to share their faith uh, with others. And they've been awesome. It's been fun to read. Um, but as they were getting ready to come home, they were 
in the airport, and their gate was called, and they loaded the plane, and after they were on the plane waiting for takeoff, apparently there was some sort of a, of a mess up due to union rules or something. But as they're all sitting on the plane waiting takeoff to come home, they were told that their flight was canceled. And, and I've traveled enough um, to, to know that in these types of situations, people are less than kind, right? People get really, really irritable in, in these situations. I always feel bad for the, for the flight, um, the, the airline workers who have to book hotels and arrange for new flights because all they do is get yelled at the whole time as though they were the person who caused the problem, right? But what I loved about following my friend uh, is that he saw this as just another opportunity. And he added another post, and what he wrote is this, quote, I cannot wait to see what God has in store with this unexpected adventure. Isn't that awesome? I mean, what a great attitude. What, what, what a great perspective. Rather than grumbling and complaining, he chose to see this as an unexpected adventure. Probably helps that he was in Hawaii, um, <laughs> right? He wasn't stuck in Maine, you know, so no, Maine's beautiful. Actually, most people would love to be stuck here. But a canceled flight is one thing, right? I mean, hopefully we all have it within us to have a perspective change and have the right attitude with a canceled flight. But what about more difficult circumstances? As many of you know, one of our elders, uh, Pastor Dan Coffin, has had several health challenges in the past uh, few months, and I asked for his permission to share this this morning. He wanted to be here, but once again, just not able to be. And these challenges have forced him to spend significantly more time at home resting, and he's even had to spend several weeks uh, in the hospital. He is hoping to be at the baptism, so if you need another reason to go to the baptism today, you could see Pastor Dan. But during one of my visits with him in Augusta at the hospital, as we were talking about how easy it is to get discouraged, he said these words. He said, quote, I am learning to stop asking why and to start asking what. Instead of asking God why something is happening to me, I am learning to ask him what he would have me to learn in this situation? What would he have me to do in this situation? You see, changing your, your question from a why to a what, right? It's only a change of a few letters, right? But it is a game changer. It's a game changer when it comes to our perspective and our ability to walk through the trials and the challenging circumstances of our lives. Well, this morning, we are on week seven in our continuing study on the life of, of Joseph. And for six weeks, six weeks, we have seen how Joseph has had to walk through one difficult trial after another. And when we left off last week, Joseph was, he was in an Egyptian prison, hoping that he might soon be released. You see, last week in the, in the passage we looked at in chapter 40, Joseph had interpreted some dreams for the, the uh, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker. And after interpreting their dreams, he told the cupbearer that you're going to be promoted or restored back to your position with Pharaoh. And when you do, when you're back with Pharaoh, would you just 
remember me? Would you, would you mind mentioning me to Pharaoh? Because I'm wrongfully imprisoned here. I'm from Canaan, and I've, I was sold as a slave, and, and somehow I ended up here in this prison. Would you just mention me to Pharaoh? But as chapter 40 came to a close, in the very final verse that we read, verse 23, we read that the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph was still in prison. This morning, we're going to pick up our our story in Genesis chapter 41. And I'm just going to be, by the way, we got 57 verses to get through today. So we are going to, we are going to be like on like high speed. All right. And it's not going to feel that way as I start, because we're going to start with just the first four words of Genesis chapter 41, verse one. I promise I won't spend this much time on the rest. Genesis chapter 41, verse 1 begins with these words. After two whole years. Two whole years, Joseph remained in prison. For two whole years, he has been forgotten by the cupbearer. But what I want to emphasize this morning is that while two years is a long time to suffer, especially for a person who is literally innocent, right? I want to make sure that we understand that Joseph has been uh, suffering for significantly longer than two years. You may recall from the the first few weeks in our series that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold as a slave by his brothers, 17 years old. And what's only taken us a few weeks to get through, to get to chapter 41, was 13 years in Joseph's life. He's now, as we pick up the story today in chapter 41, Joseph is now 30 years old. That means for 30, uh, 13 years, Joseph has either been a, a slave in Egypt or a prisoner in Pharaoh's dungeon. 13 years. That's nearly half his life, right? 13 out of 30 years of his life have been spent as either a prisoner or a slave. And that's a long time to endure the type of suffering that Joseph has had to endure. But the part that makes Joseph's story so incredible is that even though Joseph has been enduring this type of suffering for so long, Joseph is the type of person who focused on the what. Joseph didn't get bogged down and paralyzed by focusing on the whys. He focused on the what. So whether he was a slave in Potiphar's house or a prisoner in in Pharaoh's dungeon, Joseph walked with God. He viewed each situation as an opportunity to serve the Lord. So in verse one, we read that after two whole years of, of being forgotten, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, And they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. Well, once again, in our series, we are dealing with some interesting dreams, right? Joseph had two dreams, you may recall. And then last week in the text we looked at, the cupbearer and the baker both had a dream. And now Pharaoh is going to have a a couple of dreams. And in this first dream, Pharaoh sees seven 
plump and healthy cows coming up out of the Nile River to graze. He sees steak, right? This is delicious. Now, the fact that the cows come up out of the Nile, that's actually not the crazy part about the dream, right? Like, you read that, you're like, wow, swimming cows. That's really kind of crazy. But actually, cows can swim. First of all, they can cross a river. But not only that, but in Egypt, it was very common because of the heat that cows would actually seek cool in the river. So they would wade in the waters of the Nile to stay cool, and then they would come up out of the Nile. So that's not the crazy part, um, really. What's crazy is that these cows come up out of the water, and, and then after them come seven ugly, thin, cannibalistic cows. And these thin, ugly, like emaciated cows, like Pharaoh's dreaming this, all of a sudden they come up and they eat the other cows. That is not a dream, folks. That is a nightmare, right? Can you even imagine how scary it would be if cows were carnivores? Can you just imagine that for a moment? I was thinking about uh, Ben Smith, uh, someone who's not, actually, I don't think he's here today. He's usually sitting right over there. Ben is a dairy farmer. Can you imagine how much more interesting his job would be as a dairy, dairy farmer if cows uh, were carnivores? So, so Pharaoh wakes up from this dream, and, and he, you know, he wakes up, and he's like, whoa, that was, that was weird, right? And he shakes it off, and he then goes back to sleep. Well, in verse 5, it says, he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. It was a very healthy stalk of grain. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Now, this dream, this second dream, it may not have been quite as scary maybe as the, as the flesh eating cows, right? But because this dream is so eerily similar to the first dream, Pharaoh wakes up and he is deeply troubled. He's troubled, you see, because both cows and grain were vital resources in Egypt. And while Pharaoh doesn't exactly understand what these dreams are all about, he knows that these dreams are significant. There, there's something about this dreams. It's more than just a, a, a weird dream. There's something significant going on here. And like King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, Pharaoh is determined to find out what these dreams are all about. I will say this, though. At least, at least Pharaoh is going to tell his, his magicians and wise men what the dream is. Nebuchadnezzar, you read that story? He says, I had an awful dream. Tell me what it was and what it means. Wow, that's a tough assignment, right? And Daniel pulled it off, right, with God's help. Pretty amazing. But so, so Pharaoh, he's pretty disturbed. And so he goes, he goes and he seeks the interpretation from his, you know, the trusted people that he would normally go to with something like this. But they are unable to tell Pharaoh what his dreams mean. And it's weird because when we actually read the interpretation from Joseph, we're going to be like, well, it doesn't even sound like it was that complicated, right? And what's really weird is we don't even read that they tried to make it up, 
right? Like, well, I don't really know what it means, but I better make something up or Pharaoh's not going to be too happy. They don't even try. And I really think this is the hand of God. I really believe that, that God prevented them from having a clue what this dream was about, right? Because as I mentioned last week, when a dream is from the Lord, and trust me, this dream is from the Lord, then the interpretation must also come from the Lord. So God is the one who's given Pharaoh this dream, and God is the one who's going to interpret it. Verse 9, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. So the cupbearer, he hears through the, 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 the kingdom or whatever, he's, in the, he's hanging out with Pharaoh, and he hears that Pharaoh is troubled because Pharaoh's had a bad dream or two dreams, and he shared it with the magicians, he shared it with the wise men, and nobody can interpret it. And so the cupbearer hears about this, and he says, quote, I remember my offenses today, which, which I believe is Egyptian for I am such a horrible person. I, I am not a nice man. You see, there was this guy, there was this guy that, that we met when we were in prison. And I was supposed to tell you about him two years ago when I got out, but I, 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 I forgot. This is my offense. But better late than never. So the cupbearer finally remembers Joseph, and he tells Pharaoh about him. And verse 14 says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Now, imagine for a moment that you're Joseph, right? You're just going about your normal day as a prisoner in, in Pharaoh's prison. We know that Joseph had been placed in charge of all the prisoners, and so he's taking care of everybody in the prison. He's just doing what he normally does. You have no idea if you're Joseph. You don't know that, that Pharaoh's had a dream. You don't know uh, that, that all the magicians have been unable, unable to interpret it. You don't know what's going on, right? You don't know that the cupbearer, after two years, has finally remembered you. So it's just another long day serving as a prisoner in Egypt. But this is far from a normal day for Joseph. The text says that they came quickly to get Joseph. One minute, he's in a prison just doing what he normally does. And the next minute, he's being called to go and have a personal meeting with the Pharaoh. I mean, that is like, that's like like some prisoner in the main state prison just doing their thing, you know, going to the gym, working out, coming back, reading books, I don't, eating, uh, I don't know, sleeping, just doing a normal day in the main state prison, and all of a sudden, someone shows up and says, hey, the president of the United States would like to meet with you now. What? This is crazy, right? This is like a crazy, crazy thing that's happening for Joseph. It's a big, big deal. But he can't go before Pharaoh looking the way he does, so he shaves off his beard and probably shaved off the hair on top of his head 
as well because the Egyptians saw the, the hair as like dirty, filthy. And part of the way that, that they kept things clean to avoid things like head lice and other things is that they would just regularly shave and keep clean because shaving your head bald is actually a very good thing to do. Um, so that's why I do it. Um, so it has nothing to do with a receding hairline or anything like that. It's just cleanly. That's why we do it. So, in fact, actually, the priests, the priests in, in Egypt who, you know, again, serving a, a, a plethora of different gods, the priests were actually required, they were required to keep their whole body shaven. So, after shaving, Joseph then changes his clothes and he's brought before Pharaoh. But there's something else that I really want us to see here. You see, while Joseph is, is, is busy just going about his business, being faithfully, you know, faithful to God, serving God where he is, doing what God has put in front of him, God has been working in ways that Joseph was completely unaware of. God was working to bring about the plans for Joseph's release. And I just want to say, brothers and sisters, we need to understand that God is always working. God is always working. At a time when you're just like, ah. Oh, it's been 13 years of suffering, just another day serving in prison. And he had no idea what God was doing. We need to be faithful, even in times of suffering, knowing that God is working because we have no idea. We have no idea what God has in store for us two years from now. You don't know what God is preparing you for right now that isn't going to happen for another 13 years. I hope that gives you encouragement. I hope it, it, it lends purpose to your pain because God doesn't waste our pain, does he? God is using it. He is always, always working. Even as we sing in the song Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. So Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. And in verse 15, we read, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I love I love, I love, I love the way that Joseph is so quick to clarify that it is not him who is going to provide the answer. It is God. Hey, whatever gifts God has given you, you know that those gifts are not for your glory, right? They are for his glory. And Joseph has been given a gift by God to apparently interpret dreams. But it is not for his glory. It is for God. So he says, it's not me. I'm not the one that can do this. God is the one that's going to do that. God is going to give you an answer, a favorable answer. And actually, some translations, I like better, actually, they say God is going to give you an answer of peace because the word there for favorable is the word shalom. God is going to give, he's going to give Pharaoh what Pharaoh is seeking. What does it say? Pharaoh has a troubled heart. He is deeply disturbed. He's deeply troubled. And, and Joseph says, my God is going to give you peace. He's going to give you shalom. Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. 
Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. But when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, and there was no one who could explain it to me. So Pharaoh tells his dreams to Joseph. And in in this telling of the dream, different than the first one, he includes a, a few other details. In verse 19, he tells Joseph that these thin and ugly cows were unlike anything he has ever seen in all the land of Egypt. He's saying, this was disturbing, Joseph. I've never seen anything like it. They They were emaciated. They were hideous. And in verse 21, Pharaoh says that even after they ate the healthy cows, they still looked emaciated. You couldn't even tell that they had just eaten the most plump and healthy cows around. So Pharaoh looks at Joseph. He says, what are these dreams all about? What is going on here? In verse 25, we read this. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years And the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will bring it about, will shortly bring it about. Joseph tells him, this this is happening. There's nothing that's going to change this. God has given you this dream. It's doubled because God has fixed it and it's going to happen and it's going to happen soon. So God gives Joseph this interpretation, right? And Joseph gives the interpretation to Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh that these dreams that, uh, about the cows and the grain are one and the same. And he tells Pharaoh that God has shown him all that is, uh, he's about to do. God is the one that's going to bring this about. God sent him the dream, and God is the one that's going to bring about what's about to happen over the next 14 years. They're going to have an, an overabundance of resources for the next seven years. There's going to be, there's going to be more grain and, and, and more supplies in Egypt than they've ever seen, right? But after those seven years are up, God is going to bring seven years of famine unlike anything they had ever seen. This famine is going to be so severe, so severe that nobody is even going to remember the seven years of incredible blessing. That's interesting to me because I find that to be very true in my own life. That that when I start to go through difficulty, what happens? I forget 
all of God's blessings. You know? That's very normal, very normal human behavior. That's why, I, by the way, I, I am not much of a journaler, but, but when I see something really big happen in my life, I try to remember to write it down and put it somewhere so that I can go back and see the way that God has blessed. If you're a journaler, that, that's a great thing to write down. How has God blessed me? Because it's really important to have those when the times of famine and the times of suffering come. But this isn't good news, right? I mean, if you're Pharaoh, you're like, well, hold, on, hold on a second. You told me that God was going to give me peace. You just told me we're going to get a lot of resources, but then you're gonna t- you told me we're going to have a seven years of famine unlike anything we've ever seen. That does not sound like good news. I thought there was going to be some peace here, but Joseph is not finished. He's interpreted the dream, and, it, and, and it's one thing, it's one thing to have knowledge, right? God gave Joseph the knowledge about what these dreams mean. God gave Joseph knowledge about what is going to happen for the next 14 years, It's one thing to have knowledge, but it's another thing to know what to do with that knowledge. What do we call that? Wisdom. Yeah. One thing to have knowledge. It's another thing to know what to do with that knowledge. Wisdom. And so Joseph is going to give Pharaoh some wisdom. He's going to tell him what to do with this newfound knowledge. Verse 33 says, Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food will be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt." so that the land may not perish through the famine. So having identified this this problem, a devastating famine that's coming, Joseph now proceeds with a solution. He encourages Pharaoh to assign someone to oversee the preparations for the famine. He says, look, there's a famine coming, and it's going to be horrible. But what you need to do is you need to assign overseers to go and collect 20% of all the grain that's coming in during those seven years of incredible blessing. You, you just need to capitalize on the seven years of plenty, right? And by the way, we're going to see this later in the text, but there's such an overabundance coming in that they stopped keeping track. It was just like unbelievable amounts during those seven years of blessing. I think Dave Ramsey would really appreciate Joseph's advice, don't you? You know? It's good to save during times of plenty so you can be prepared for the times of famine. Verse 37 says, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servant, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? By the way, I want to just point out, I don't think Joseph was presumptuous when he was coming up with his plan. Like, you should appoint someone. I don't think he was thinking like, hey, pick me. I don't think that's what it was. I think he was offering a real plan because he wanted to benefit Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. And by the way, that's what makes for a great employee. 
You know, when it's always, you're thinking about yourself, like, hey, if I do this, then maybe I'll get promoted. How about just focusing on what makes the company better? How about focusing on what makes the church thrive better? Instead of looking for your own promotion, allow God to promote you when it's your time. You focus on doing the right thing by your employer. You focus on doing the right thing by God and let God worry about the promotion. I think that's what Joseph did here. And Pharaoh is blown away, right? He is totally blown away. None of his other magicians and his wise men could even help him with the interpretation, much less give him a a, a solution. But Joseph shows up and he says, my God is gonna give you peace. Not only is he gonna give him the interpretation, he gives him the solution. So Pharaoh looks around. And he looks at his other servants and he says, where else are we going to find a man like this? This guy has the spirit of God in him. And it's not the spirit of a God. It is the spirit of the God in him. And I got to say, is there any greater compliment that you can receive than for someone to look at your life and say, wow, that person has something different about them. It looks like they really do know God. That's what happened to the disciples, right? You know, in the book of Acts, they're like, people looked and like, All I know is these people have clearly been with Jesus, you know? That's a really big compliment, isn't it? Where am I? I have no idea. (laughs) Verse 39. Verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph is getting promoted again, again. Pharaoh says, this is a great idea, Joseph. What a brilliant plan. I want you to do it. You are that guy. You're the one that's going to oversee this whole thing. And if it doesn't go well, you're going to be the fall guy, by the way, too. Verse 41, he says, uh, says, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride around, uh, ride rather in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one will lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah Say that five times fast. And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Man, Joseph's head must have been spinning. Like, this is all happening really, really fast. Like, what is going on? A few hours ago, I was a prisoner. And now, I'm second in command over all of Egypt. Pharaoh, arguably the most powerful man in the world right now, is taking off his ring and putting it on my hand. This, this symbol of his authority and his power. He's placed a gold chain over my neck. He's given me an awesome chariot to ride around. Joseph never had a chariot before this, right? He's been given a chariot. He's been given like fine Egyptian linens. Joseph must have been just beside himself. People are bowing down before him. You know, I wonder, 
I wonder if in that moment, as, as he's riding a chariot and they're yelling, bow down, and people are bowing down, I wonder if just for a moment, Joseph's own dreams came back to him. I wonder if he's like, oh man, I had a dream that God gave me a long time ago. 13 years ago, I had a dream that my brothers, my family would bow down before me. This isn't my family, but wow, maybe this is the beginning of how that all comes about. This is incredible, right? It's absolutely incredible. After, after Pharaoh does all this for him, then Pharaoh changes his name. He then gives him an Egyptian wife, and then Joseph goes out over all the land of Egypt. Now, I just want to point out uh, real briefly, because I think a question that might pop up is, you know, you remember with the Judah Tamar story, how God was like, it was a big deal that Judah went and married a Canaanite, right? A foreign, a foreigner. So why would Joseph, if he's such a godly guy, why is he marrying this Egyptian woman? I just would say, do you think he had a choice? You know, do you think he was like, hey, Joseph, would you be interested in, in, in marrying an Egyptian? I think it was Pharaoh saying, you are now second command. Here's your wife. Here's your chariot. Here's your gold chain. And there you go, right? Joseph, while being brought into the Egyptian culture, I believe what we see in the rest of his story is Joseph never let go of his worship of the one true God. And I like to believe that Joseph probably talked about his God with his wife. He probably talked about his God often with his two sons that we haven't yet met, but we're going to in a few minutes. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Man, you're looking for a course on leadership, like good leadership, uh, folks, maybe business leaders? Uh, Joseph's life. Joseph's a good leader now about delegation and, and, and how to distribute the responsibilities. Joseph's got it uh, definitely going on here. And just as Joseph has served faithfully in Potiphar's house and served faithfully in the prison, now he's serving faithfully for Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And he's, he's, he's been so faithful and the God's blessing is so on his life that it says there's so much grain that they couldn't even keep track of how much was coming in. Isn't that amazing? Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So, during the seven years of plenty, God not only blessed the work of Joseph's hands in preparing for the famine, but God also blessed Joseph and his wife with two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And their names loosely mean forgetful and fruitful. Forgetful and fruitful. As Joseph, 
looks at his life and he considers all that God has done in his life, right? He's now been, he's been now uh, overseeing this, this time of preparations for the famine. He's, he's got fine clothes. He lives in a palace. He's got a, a, an Egyptian wife. He's got two sons. I mean, Joseph looks at his life and he says, man, God has caused me to forget all of my hardships and all of my father's house. God has caused me to be fruitful even here in the land of my affliction, even here in the place where I was a slave and a prisoner. And it's not that Joseph like literally forgot all that he had been through, right? I mean, can we agree that Joseph remembered that he was a slave, that Joseph was in prison? Do we, re- we know that he remembered what his brothers did to him, right? We know that he remembers and even misses his father, Jacob. We learn that later in the story. So it's not that Joseph literally forgot all of these things, right? So what is Joseph saying here? He's saying, I am not dwelling on the past, right? I choose not to remember that. It's interesting. That's how God treats our sins, isn't it? It's like God doesn't forget what you've done. Like, well, yeah, God's forgotten our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's forgotten what we've done. He's he's removed our sins from us. Well, that is true. But it's not that he literally forgets. He chooses not to remember, right? He doesn't bring it up. It's forgiven. It's paid for. And Joseph's looking at his past. He said, "I, I choose not to dwell on that any longer. I'm not dwelling on the pain. I'm not dwelling on all that I went through. He is focused on what is God doing now. He's focused on looking forward to what God is going to do in the future. But sadly, sadly, I think there are too many people who become paralyzed by the pains of their past. And it robs them. It completely robs them of joy in the present, and it robs them of hope for the future. Listen, I mean, if you want to do a comparison, which I don't recommend, I don't. But Joseph has endured a lot of suffering. Can you agree with that? 13 years of this, 13 years, prisoner, slave, uh, beaten by his brothers, thrown in a pit, watching as his own brothers sold him away as a slave. I mean, there's just so much pain that Joseph has been through. But he was able to look back and he was able to see the way that God used it for good. It's interesting today that, you know, that Carolyn read that, that uh, email from Seth clinging to the promise of Romans 8, 28, right? God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And I think Joseph didn't know Romans 8, 28 because it wasn't written for a long time, Till after Joseph, but he lived Romans 8, 28. He believed Romans 8, 28. In fact, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph is gonna say these words to his brothers. It's near the end of the book. It'll be the last message in this series, in fact. So sneak peek. Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He looks back on all that he's been through and he says, I know that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God took all of that pain and he had a purpose in it and he used it for good. What a powerful, what a freeing moment it is when we are able to see the sovereign hand of God at work in our lives as well. When we can look back and we can say, wow, 
That was a hard road. Man, I went through a lot during that season. But I am not dwelling on the past. God was with me then, and God is with me now, and God is using that for, his, for my good and for his glory. God has caused me to forget. He has caused me to be fruitful. I love what Paul says in the book of Romans, uh, same chapter as that verse we just talked about. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul says this. And by the way, Paul was pretty well acquainted with suffering too. Can we agree with that? Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, we may never, ever get promoted to a position like Joseph, you know, to be the second command over all of, of, a, of a country, you know? We may not see that type of promotion here on earth, but if we are followers of Jesus Christ, God's word promises that we have an eternal glory that makes the riches of Egypt pale in comparison, right? Yes. One day, we were gonna be with Jesus in our heavenly, eternal home, and there will be, listen, there will be no more pain. There's not gonna be any suffering, right? There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more tears as we are with Jesus in our eternal home. We have so, so much to look forward to. So much. And, so, and that's for every follower of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty amazing promise, isn't it? Yeah. Better than being second command of Egypt, you have a home that's being prepared for you for all eternity with Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. Verse 53 says, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. And there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. And so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. When the years of plenty ended, the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had interpreted. And the famine was not contained to just Egypt, because actually Egypt, this, this Delta Nile region was like the breadbasket uh, bread of civilization at that time. So if Egypt is in famine, you can, you can bet your bottom dollar that the rest of the countries surrounding Egypt, they are in deep, deep doo-doo, right? I just said doo-doo. That's crazy. <laughs> they were struggling. They were struggling. Verse 57 says, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, and that verse sets the stage for the chapters to come because guess who lived in a neighboring nation? Joseph's family. And they were struggling and they needed grain and they're gonna meet Joseph next week in chapter 42. As I've mentioned several times throughout this series though, this story of Joseph's life is not primarily about Joseph, is it? The story of Joseph is primarily a story about the sovereign God working through the life of a faithful man who happens to be Joseph here in order to save a family 
the family of Jacob, in order to build a nation, the nation of Israel, that will lead to the Savior of the world, their Messiah, our Messiah, Jesus the Christ. God is definitely working. God hasn't stopped working this whole time. God has been busy working to bring about his plans and his purposes. So let me end our time together this way. I want to end with the words that we began with from our our friend, Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan said, I am learning to stop asking why and to start asking what. What is God trying to teach me in this situation? What is God calling me to do in this situation? Joseph was faithful for 13 years, and he didn't give in to the the whys. He didn't give in to that. He focused on the what. Brothers and sisters, what is God currently developing in you? What are the characteristics he's trying to develop in your life right now? What opportunities is God currently giving you, like right now? What is God calling you to do today? Maybe it's to get baptized, you know? Maybe it's to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe it's to talk to your neighbor. Maybe it's to, 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 to care for your neighbor. I don't know. I have no idea what God might be calling you to do, but I guarantee if you're listening, God is busy and he's about to show you if you are willing to hear. He wants to do things in and through your life. And we have no idea what God has in store for us two years from now. If you're walking through a painful situation in your life right now, maybe it's been a long, hard season, you have no idea what God is doing right now to prepare you for what lies ahead. But he is doing something. We have no idea what he's doing to prepare us for something that's 13 years from now. But are you willing to stay faithful to him even if it takes 13 years to figure out why? Are you going to stay faithful? Are you going to focus on the what or are you going to focus on the why and become paralyzed? I choose to focus on the what. I choose to focus on the what. I want to see what God wants to do in my life today, tomorrow, and the next day. We just need to keep being faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. God, we thank you for the, oh man, the amazing hope that we see that even in times when it's very difficult, even in times when the, the suffering is prolonged and, man, 13 years, 13 years, we see, though, that you are working the whole time and you are accomplishing things in and through Joseph's life. You are doing things outside of Joseph's life to prepare these things to all come together to accomplish your will and your purposes. And we know that you're doing that not just in Joseph's life, but you're doing it in ours as well. And so, God, we, we come to you, and God, please help us to have the hearts that would be able to say, I'm not going to focus on the why. I want to focus on the what. Help us, God, to focus on what you are doing in and through our lives right now. What are you calling us to? And God, help us to be obedient to that call. And God, one last time, I just want to thank you for those who who have made the decision to follow you and have uh, made the decision to publicly proclaim their faith for all the others to know, to be baptized today, to follow your example, Jesus. You went into the waters and were baptized, and you commanded your followers to be baptized as well. I thank you for their obedience. 
I pray for your protection over them. And God, I pray if there's anybody else here who has never given their life to you, Jesus, I pray that today would be a day of salvation, that they would surrender, cry out to you to be their God, to be their Lord, to be their Savior, and that today they too might step into the waters of baptism. And I pray these things in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.